by noticing a, a few verses, and then we'll go to the, uh, to the New Testament. <clears throat> Read the first five verses. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. And then uh, he goes through a number of questions and uh, seeing, thinking of their wickedness and why is it so good for them and it's a, uh, it's a consternation to him. And in, then in verse 16, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou castest them down into destruction. Now, there are sinners uh, who are living without God today, and they have wrong priorities and wrong thinking and wrong behavior, wrong everything about their life. And, they're, and, and they're, their consciences don't seem to be bothering them. And they, if, if we were to, uh, I hope all of us, if we were to even uh, begin to live like they're comfortable living, we would be uh, smitten and, and miserable. The psalmist acknowledges that, that uh, he was influenced by what he saw. And he was affected by his impressions of these people around him, the culture around him. And... There was a lot that he misunderstood. And one thing that he assumed incorrectly about was the bliss of these sinful people, for one. Now, it's true that there are wicked people who seem to have uh, little consequence here in this life for the way they're living. But there are consequences. And one big consequence is just... Uh, well, one thing, there's, there's often miseries that are so avoidable, and, uh, but, but not very obvious to, uh, to onlookers. But beyond that, there is an emptiness that has to be for everyone who is not living for the Lord, and an emptiness, and a, a lack of of a true fulfillment and the true joy and peace that comes with being a child of God. And their, their priorities and their, how they go about making their choices uh, take them in ways and in directions that, that don't bring that kind of peace and, and the fulfillment that God would have us to experience and would have wanted Asaph to experience. But he came to the sanctuary 
he came to the sanctuary and he he learned and he saw that the end of the wicked is not a good end and he saw in verse 2 there you notice that this psalm we begin reading at verse 2 but it says truly God is good to Israel and see his thinking had gotten kind of warped and he was thinking that things are better for the sinners but truly the truth is God is good to Israel God is those people God's people are the ones who are truly blessed and find real fulfillment and find real joy and satisfaction in God and in living for him I'll go with me to uh, Matthew chapter 11. I don't know uh, what all that Asaph learned in the sanctuary in the presence of God. He heard the law read, I'm sure. But uh, we can go to to the sanctuary and we're at the sanctuary building this morning, but I'm saying that we can go to the sanctuary of God's presence and, and, and learn of him. And in chapter 11 of Matthew, the, uh, the last few verses I'd like to read, beginning at verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to the sanctuary is the the invitation of Jesus for life and peace and rest. It's a beautiful, a beautiful invitation with, with promise. Come all ye that labor and are heavy laden. This could be the wicked that were living around Asaph, or it could be Asaph. To, tho- to those who uh, are, are toiling and struggling, to those who are loaded down, burdened, anguished with guilt and uh, struggling with the pull of the of the sin nature struggling with temptations uh, with the temptation to respond in wrong ways like with pride in its many children anger bitterness malice hatred envy jealousy or struggling with wrong appetites and controlling those appetites, the greed, the desire for things, the lust, the desire for the sensual, and uh, the desire for power. It's an invitation to, to everyone who is guilty or struggling with those areas. 
It's an invitation to the non-Christian for salvation. It's an invitation to the to the Christian for revival, for growth in spiritual maturity and victory. It's, it's an answer for the, the cry in Romans 7, where he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of death, of this death? And it's the blessing of Matthew 5. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Come. All ye that labor and are heavy laden. And he promises that if we come, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Only the Son of God can say that. We can say, I know where you can find it. But Jesus said, I will give it. I will give you rest. So we find that rest that he promises by coming. Not just noticing, not just hearing the invitation or considering the invitation, but responding to it with action and decision. And then we, we come and we take. We take that yoke upon us. Take my yoke upon you, he said, which is submission to the Lord Jesus. It is surrender to him and brokenness before him. And we become Christ's sincere disciple. He is the master and I am the servant. He is the Lord and I am his child, his son. And finally, he says, and learn of me. And that is the the walk of the disciple, the life of the disciple. And Asaph learned in the sanctuary, and we learn of him in the sanctuary of his presence and communion with him through his word and his spirit. And we learn about Christian character. We learn about Christ's character. And it's a teacher and a student relationship. We learn about him, and he wants us to become like him. We learn how to become like him. And he describes, I am meek and lowly of heart, describing himself. He is gentle, not not quickly defensive and angry, reacting, not passive without feeling, but he there's a he's under control. And there is a submission with strength. Uh, able to to handle uh, difficulties. And there's an absence of pride and self. You know, the world is preoccupied with self. The meek and lowly are not concerned with self. They sense their smallness before God. And they're not thinking more highly than they ought to think, like Paul wrote. And... Uh, they, they are humble before one another. Taking his yoke and learning of him is putting off the old man and putting on the new. And he says, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not easy in the sense of 
effortless, but good, that it is good for us, and it is for our benefit, and it is well-fitted and right for us. Truly, God is good to Israel. This yoke is good for us, and it is light because he helps us with it. The power of God uh, gives us strength to, to live in that, with that yoke and uh, under his lordship. And then he says, ye shall find rest unto your souls. It's uh, a rest from battle. A struggle, that struggle of our will against his will, the will of the Lord. It's uh, a rest from that struggle of our will against the feelings and feelings against other people, a conflict. It's a rest from that kind of battle. And it's a rest in battles that we face. Uh, there are trials and struggles that we will face. And uh, following his his ways and walking with him, taking his yoke upon us does not mean no more stress, but certainly means lower stress. And it definitely means help through stress that that we face. <clears throat> Learning in the sanctuary, I'd like to in our time here this morning. Uh, to think of some of the things that that Jesus would teach us. And they're just reminders. They're things we all know, I believe. Uh, but when we come to him, whether it's for a first time or uh, after years of being a disciple of Jesus, he often reminds us, reminds me of many things. And uh, sometimes... It's uh, it's important that I hear that reminder that I, I needed it. And uh, I'll, we'll look at a few things this morning that he would remind us of that are part of the yoke and uh, part of walking as a meek and lowly disciple of Jesus that will bring rest to our souls and will bring that fulfillment and peace and joy. The first one I want to notice is that that eternal things, eternal things are more important than these things on earth. Oh, how we know that one. We, you know, anybody could ask us that and we would just know the answer right off the bat. But, you know, it's something we kind of struggle with, at least uh, I have at times. And. You know, Jesus said, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? <clears throat> if he had all the earth's riches, not it's what a what a comparison. There's nothing we would give in exchange for our soul. Peace with God, a right relationship with him is the most important thing of all. And this is a great precept. And it's something that 
all of God's people have to come to grips with. That the eternal things are ever so more important than the things of earth. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, For I passed unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And he's not talking here, as might be our first impression from the King James rendering, that it was in the order of things given. No doubt it was. But the, uh, the, the meaning here is that he gave this as of first importance. This is the greatest, the greatest truth that I have to share with you. You know, as Christians, <clears throat> we see something that the world doesn't see. And we see the God factor. We've heard it referred to as that. And the things that we see around us, the things that we work with, they should look different. We should see them with different eyes than the, than the non-Christian than someone who is living for himself. And so that uh, should affect our choices and it should affect our priorities. You know, like Moses in Hebrews 11, it says of him that when he was come to years, when he was old enough to understand things, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Now that decision had a, had a great impact on his life and uh, his future and what he faced and with whom he faced it. It affects our time. You know, what we do with our time. And there will be things that will happen. Uh, our devotional life will happen. And there may be other things that would be fun, other things that we enjoy, even other things that have some degree of importance that may not get as much time. <clears throat> it will affect our uh, material priorities. The rich young ruler, he uh, faced an, a choice when, when he asked Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus told him that eternal things matter more than earthly things. He was, th this rich young man was living in the material uh, earth and living with the material things, and he was very fond of those material things. Too fond. And Jesus saw that. And he struggled with Jesus' reply to sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor. Basically, he was saying, take my yoke upon you and follow me. Take up the cross, is what he told him. He was sad to hear that because uh, the things that he had here were really more important to him. 
Now, Christians need to, uh, to have that issue settled. We, we will struggle with it, and we live in a rich country, and, and material things come pretty easily, uh, even to us. But, you know, with the eternal perspective, uh, it, it gives us a farsightedness that, that uh, we need to pay attention to. It gives us a view that we need to hold fast to. The saints in Hebrews 11 all died in the faith, not having received the promises, but having seen, seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country, they might have had opportunity to have returned that you know thinking too much about those things that aren't a part of the Christian life uh, that aren't first to the Christian it can affect our look it affected Asus and we we can make a way it makes it easier to go back to it that's why in our Sunday school lesson, the, uh, the letter to the one church said, hold fast, I think to the church at Philadelphia, hold fast. The eternal is important. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And that is something that we will learn in the sanctuary and will be a blessing for us and will bring us to... Uh, to a place of joy and fulfillment when we can really see that. <clears throat> I'm sure you do, and it's something we want to grow in. Another thing that is so, so critical is just living with integrity instead of compromising against, uh, with the pressures and the, uh, the temptations to, to make life easier or better for ourselves. Living our convictions is really what it is with a clear conscience. And there'd be any number of areas that, uh, that we could fall down there. Uh, the material things we've just been talking about uh, would be one. Uh, I remember uh, a visitor here in our men's Sunday school class one time. Uh, this has probably been 15 or more years ago. I, I don't remember. But he was telling about a friend of his who uh, had borrowed money for a house. And the interest rate was adjusted periodically. I forget what the name of that bad loan uh, mortgage is. But uh, it wouldn't have been uh, a wise choice. But anyway, that's the situation he had. And the interest went up. It went up as one, during one of those uh, stretches where the interest was high. And he couldn't afford his payments anymore. He went to the bank. What can I do? And they said, well, does your wife work? No. We believe that she should stay at home and take care of the children. That's the only solution that they had to suggest. 
your wife get another job or get a job. And they couldn't do that. They couldn't do that. That it was a conviction. The wife should be at home with their children. That's the way I, the way I remember the children were. She had still had children at home and so forth. And what should they do? Should they just be more practical and just adjust that conviction a little bit, you know, for the duration of high interest rates, it'd be okay or whatever. But they decided, no, they're going to follow what they believe is right, come what may, they lost the house. But they, they stood with a clear conscience be, before God. <clears throat> there are many ways that we can be tested. A promise might cost more than we thought when we made it. Or we can forget um, a source of income that, that would affect our taxes at the end of the year. We can just kind of forget it. Um, or different ways that we can compromise. We can compromise in areas of moral purity and, and soil our conscience in the things we read, in the things we look at, in the things we listen to, in the things we think about or even the way we behave and compromise our moral purity and our convictions. And it should disturb us. Uh, we can be lazy employees. Many ways that we can uh, come short of living in integrity before God. And man, Paul said, "In herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men." That's important. God would want us to. Jesus would remind us of that. To find rest, live with integrity. <clears throat> Another one is gratefulness, just to be thankful to God rather than complaining and murmuring. Neither murmur ye, said Paul to, in his letter to the Corinthians, to the church, to the Christians at Corinth, neither murmur ye. It's easy even for Christians to murmur and complain. And he said, don't do that. That's the way the, the, that Israel did, and many of them were destroyed. It's, it can be a problem. Israel murmured. It, we'll, we'll not go more into this, but just um, how important gratitude is to God and how Jesus would have us to learn that lesson. You know, those, those ten lepers, was there only one? Only one came back and said, thanks. 
it's so easy to not be grateful like we should be. It's important that we please God before men and seek the honor and approval of God over the the honor and approval and praise of men. Fear of man is a snare and desiring the praise of men is a snare. It can breed jealousy and envy and dissatisfaction and many very unrestful problems. But we're instructed to do our work as unto Christ, to serve as unto Christ, not with eye service, not with how it will look to those people that are looking on around me, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. It's not necessary that we be recognized for our efforts or appreciated or admired. That's not necessary. But it is necessary that we be found faithful in service to God. Our worth to God is is not dependent on our approval ratings in the eyes of men, but rather how faithful we are with the gifts he's given us and the responsibilities that he's given us. That's something that the teacher, that Jesus would have us learn. It's part of our yoke that he would have us walk in. And it's a place where learned that there is rest. Another one is service. Service, being a, learning to be a servant like Jesus was a servant versus uh, seeking selfish gratification. You know, the natural view is me first and I have a right to a comfortable and enjoyable life and, you know, the right to uh, happiness and pursuit of happiness. A lot of people in our culture uh, live like they are owed uh, a happy life and all the things that they want that will make them happy. And they seek instant gratification. And, you know, there's a tremendous difference. There's a tremendous confusion between fun and real happiness and joy. And most people don't know the difference. Uh, Even Christians get confused sometimes. There is a place for personal enjoyment, but when 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 that becomes the master and when that becomes what uh, guides our choices in whether to do this or to not do that, and that becomes the goal, then we hurt ourselves. Now, a life of self-gratification may be full of, of things and thrills and fun and so on, but it is empty of true fulfillment and meaning. And real joy comes in service to God 
and to others, even sacrifice. That's something that the teacher would want us to learn. It's part of our yoke to be a servant. And the last one we'll touch on here is Christian attitudes, Christ-like attitudes uh, over rights and justice for ourselves. You know, we live in an age of individualism and there's a lot of emphasis on rights and what our rights are and I have a right to do what I want and liberties, liberty meaning freedom from constraints. And those attitudes uh, come out in homes where children are disobedient to their parents and where wives are not submissive to their husbands and where husbands are irresponsible. It comes out in churches where members are dissatisfied and members are uncooperative and spread unrest. It comes out in the workplace when duties are shirked and responsibilities aren't carried out. And it damages us and it damages relationships. And there's a different way that we learn in the sanctuary from Jesus, the teacher, the master, a different law of love and peace. <clears throat> For the kingdom of God, Paul wrote in Romans 14, is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. We are to submit to one another. And that, instead of damaging relations and hurting us, it builds relationships and blesses us. It builds us. It brings us to a place of, of peace. The meek and lowly Christ would have us to learn his way. And to, keep, to learn and to keep learning, we have to come to the sanctuary. We have to live in the sanctuary. We have to take Christ's yoke upon us. We have to answer that invitation to come rather than struggling and laboring and fighting and under his, this heavy burden to come to him, take his yoke upon us, learn of him. And there are many more things than just the few we touched on here this morning. To learn that meekness and lowliness, to walk and to live in the yoke with Christ, and you will find rest unto your souls. Truly, God is good to Israel. Truly, God is good to his people that live and walk in the yoke with him. May God bless us. Shall we have a closing song?